0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll leave
1: that one in <laughs> instead of the normal music.
0: <laughs> it was it was off key as well. That was the worst bit
1: about
0: that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I want that to be the transition into every guest segment from here on out. Yeah. Just Matt
0: going... <laughs> oh, fantastic. Do you think we should, should we get into the show here? I think we have a substantial amount of Watchtower Weekly to cover this week. Yeah. There, I don't know whether you noticed, but there have been quite a few things that have hit the news this week. I noticed something just the other day, just yesterday, in
2: fact. Can I take these out of order? Can we jump right into the most recent Yeah,
1: and let's
2: do it. Uh, so a Twitter hacking spree hits elon musk obama apple and more this is reported by wired uh, reported by everybody an unprecedented security incident has rocked twitter and scammers are making off with huge amounts of bitcoin i
1: love that they used the word unprecedented here it's like as if we haven't heard that word enough recently <laughs>
0: yeah the whole scam was if you send money to this bitcoin address that they would double it and send it back yeah um which makes absolutely no sense to me no but like, the fact that all these things exist, like, you know, that you can send money to and it's completely un- unretrievable, I just think kind of shouldn't be a thing nowadays. These scammers, although the the element of stealing Bitcoin from this is probably the least worrying. Like, the fact that what the content that they were tweeting doesn't really matter. It's the fact that of what they managed to do. Exactly. It could have been a lot worse. They could have had access for longer. They could have done more damage slowly over time. And actually, this is not the first time that kind of an insider threat, we don't really know what it is. Twitter has reported that it was uh, social engineering. on And an inside job. An inside job, yeah. It's not the first time that Twitter has had an inside job, though.
1: And of course, as well, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey's account got hacked as well, didn't it? Not too long ago. Yeah,
0: I think that was through a a SIM swap, if I'm correct there.
1: Yeah, I think you're right.
0: The worrying thing here is that even with the kind of internal security that Twitter have, which I imagine is is pretty high, any access that you have as a company to your customers' information or to your customers' accounts can be pretty bad. You know, we have obviously designed 1Password in a way that is end-to-end encrypted to the point where, you know, we can't get in or log in or anything like that. And it just shows that when you can have that, it does open a level of, of threat to you. Yeah, for sure. It was funny because as I was thinking about this and some of the tools
2: that we have internally for helping our customers, you know, because they were talking about there's a some sort of like internal dashboard or something else that was ultimately used or some web app or something that was ultimately used to, to do all this stuff you know, we have similar tools and I'm sure every company does for for sort of helping customers and and managing customer databases and stuff like that. But as I was reading all this, I was like, oh no, we don't even have the ability to do that stuff. We can't do that. No, that's fine. We're okay here. Like I was immediately applying it to our situation and we're in good shape because of the way that we've
0: designed the system. Yeah. I mean, it's concerning that like it wasn't just a coordinated set of kind of separate hacking attempts, but rather an attack on Twitter itself. And like the way in which people use Twitter nowadays, and especially with, with verified accounts, the level of trust in Twitter, I, I think is at an all-time low at the moment. Yeah, I think that that's probably true. A, a report on the subject of starting a nuclear war from Twitter came out from King's College London last week, and I actually I, I read through it, and it's pretty awful. The Centre for Science and Security Studies published the report, Escalation by Tweet, Managing the New Nuclear Diplomacy. That that is a thing in a world I dislike greatly. Yes.
2: Some hothead's going to toilet tweet something and and say, (laughs) no, it's, uh, it's completely cascaded. Yeah, no, it's not great. Interestingly enough, I, one of the articles I was reading this morning was uh, – they mentioned like one account that hadn't been touched was Donald Trump's because his account has previously been deleted by people inside Twitter and now it's under special lock and key.
0: So uh, it, it couldn't – it was not affected with this, with this thing. What do you think about the, the kind of very heavy-handed approach of, of resolving this issue, which was just banning about 400,000 verified accounts? and not letting those tweet i think that that was exactly the right thing to do yeah i think that they should have just taken the entire site off no no absolutely not even with verified accounts but even banning them from tweeting further still meant that the tweets that were out there were out there and people were still falling for the for the bitcoin attack well okay that's true. They, they I, I, Yes, it should have been a, a twofold
2: approach in that case. Yeah,
0: they did a number of things like uh, the fact that you couldn't tweet that Bitcoin address, I saw like they'd literally like stopped people from tweeting that exact address. But then of course, what did the attackers do? Just change address? Yeah, exactly. I also saw that they
2: spent a, a bit of time going after people that had tweeted pictures of the dashboard the security or sorry the internal tool rather that had been used to perpetrate the attack internally which i thought was interesting like does it really matter that you've got screenshots of your internal tool floating around i mean not as much as
0: the obvious issue there that right, yeah exactly <laughs> their in- internal tactics against this had obviously failed yeah it, it was wild watching it kind of unfold and and uh, you know i know we took precautions internally if we were targeted not that we have anywhere near the amount of followers that that these uh, kind of people have but you can never be too prepared no we definitely no. uh, locked down some battens as as much as we could but uh yeah i mean when twitter is is judged as a source of truth this this really comes as an issue
1: yeah doesn't make me feel great about this as a twitter user
0: no and and i think the best note to end it on was you know when jeff bezos tweeted i have decided to give back to my community <laughs> Uh, someone tweeted, I knew it was a scam when I saw this.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> which which oh. I thought
0: was the best burn of the whole situation.
2: Uh, <laughs>
1: that's great. So Facebook just failed its first ever civil rights audit. So two years ago, Facebook bowed to pressure from activist groups around the world and agreed to an audit of how the company deals with civil rights issues such as hate speech, election interference and misinformation. But a 100-page civil rights audit... Published earlier this month has laid bare Facebook's failings and auditors have concluded that Facebook failed to grasp the urgency of the situation and these repeated failings will have, quote, direct and consequential implications on the US presidential election in November. Uh, Oh boy.
2: Uh, See, I am more concerned about Facebook screwing up our election in November than I am Twitter starting a a nuclear war. (laughs) Because...
0: <laughs> Just, I'm so mad about it. It's it's interesting that they would agree to have an independent report without fully grasping the situation. That it probably they should do enough that the internal report is positive, right? Like, why would you agree to do an internal report and be like, yes, we will be held up, do better. Like levels of just ethics inside the company, right? Like we, we will do this. This will be a great thing, and then internally everybody's like, oh, "All right, okay." <laughs> and and then like it comes out, and obviously this is a hundred pages. This goes into massive detail. The policy and enforcement choices that Facebook have made are obviously lacking, and the report literally says like that it leaves our election exposed to interference by the president and others who seek to use misinformation to sow confusion and suppress voting and all, all that kind of stuff. And why would you agree to a report and then just not address anything?
1: Yeah. We kind of saw this play out in the last election as well, right? Like, this was covered quite heavily, I think, in The Great Hack on Netflix. Have either of you seen it yet?
0: No. It is on my watch list. I'm a, I'm away next week. I'm taking off Anna's birthday week. I, I think uh, it should be a national holiday
1: Turning 30 Jesus Christ
0: <laughs> Did you just say Jesus Christ for, for Anna turning 30? <laughs> I'm 31, I feel really old <laughs> Oh f-
1: <laughs> uh, but yeah i would recommend you guys to watch it if you haven't seen it before yeah
0: it's, it's definitely on, on my watch list
1: in their kind of trump's campaign i think he spent nearly double or it could have even been more than that than what hillary's campaign did and it kind of shows that this kind of stuff really does have a lot of impact
0: so there, there was an art project that, that we saw when we sponsored mozilla's glass room And it essentially laid out in interactive infographics all of the advertising spends by amount financial, but also by companies and by kind of political interests. And it was wild. Uh, It also showed you the adverts of, of what they spent it on we can dig that out there is a web link to it and and we'll include that in the show notes but there was an amazing amount of research and and time that went into into building that and and just the the wild adverts that they are allowed to spend you know in some cases millions of dollars on is just wild that these things aren't properly vetted for facts essentially yeah I, I think Facebook have got a long way to go in terms of allowing things to be adverts that shouldn't be adverts, right? Yeah, Unfortunately, that is where they get their money from, which is is always going to be the the problem. And
1: Zuckerberg is like saying one thing, saying the platform should be about free speech and kind of doing another. Yeah,
0: I, I think that the free speech argument is a is a difficult one because obviously even nonsense is is free speech. It's just when it's presented as fact, it's misinformation rather than free speech.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So are they really not doing anything about this? It, it seems like they're doing things probably along the bare minimum lines. And, and I think, you know, when you when you agree to an internal report, if you've just done the bare minimum, the re- report is going to be that you haven't done very much. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. the
1: report said, while the audit process has been meaningful and led to some significant improvements in the platform, we've also watched the company make painful decisions over the last nine months with real-world consequences that are serious setbacks for civil rights.
0: A seesaw of progress and setbacks. That's what the report says. Yeah. So, you know, it's very odd that you would agree to that before thinking it through of, of what the report might be. It
1: looks even worse, though, right, if you don't agree to a report. It's like, what are they hiding?
0: I mean, the news cycle on a bad report would be much bigger than not agreeing to have a report in the first place. Mm. So, and, and you know, I don't think we would report it. Like, we wouldn't talk about it. It wouldn't be a thing. It would just be like, yeah, of course they didn't. But, uh, yeah, they, they have a... um. A civilian council now, right? A, a civilian board of directors almost that kind of feed into what they're supposed to be doing. The Facebook Independent Oversight Board. The Oversight Board can actually overrule Mark Zuckerberg himself. Oh. Hmm. I bet there's other things in there that, that can overrule the Oversight Board. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is an old one, uh, this whole story, because it, it kind of um, it hinges more on society than... than technology and we don't usually talk about stuff like that so friends we had a we had a wonderful guest this week matt do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about about our guest so i mean in the recording of this i do sound a little bit smitten uh and it's because <laughs> <laughs> a little bit matt. Uh, all right all right i i have watched copious hours of the youtube series computer file trying to get my head around diffie hellman and all other kinds of encryption. I would highly recommend the series if, you, if you're interested in learning about anything encryption-based or kind of the, the security model of, of 1Password even and how it differs from other password managers. Mike Pound from the University of Nottingham has covered all of these topics and does it in a really kind of simplistic way where you are getting a very, very complex topic in kind of a sort of understandable way if you watch the video a couple of times. Okay, so uh, joining us on the show today is Mike Pound. Mike is a lecturer and a researcher in computer science at Nottingham University. He is also known for his appearances on the video series Computer File. Uh, the majority of his work is in computer vision, particularly the application and adaptation of modern machine learning techniques to real-world problems. Welcome to the show, Mike. How's it going? Hi.
3: Thanks so much for having me. That's quite an introduction, actually. Uh, Not sure I can compete with that. Uh, (laughs) It's going very well. Thank you. Yes, I'm at home like everyone else. So I
0: I hear you've been keeping busy, uh, although people on this podcast might kind of know you for security and encryption and some of your other videos on, on password management. That's not your primary focus. Uh, what, what do you work on day to day?
3: Yeah, so I mean, I think some, that confuses some people because I've sort of fallen into this niche of doing a lot of a lot of security-related videos. But uh, actually, my research isn't security. I teach security, so that's why, obviously, I know some stuff about it. But uh, my main research is in computer vision and deep learning. So I spend a lot of time training deep networks, watching deep networks do things, trying to get them to better understand images, which is not an easy task because they... Computers don't do a very good job of this. So you're,
0: you're great at kind of explaining and, and simplifying things like encryption. And uh, amongst these these other things, for all audiences, really, we've seen that in your Computer File series. And, you know, actually, I do want to say uh, you, you kind of did teach me how one password works (laughs) so uh thanks for that like i didn't fully understand it really like i hear people talking about keys quite a lot but i'm a designer by trade so i kind of just you know nod and go along but um yeah watching you kind of uh draw on paper which is always the amusing thing like you, you you kind of you draw on paper but then it it really does it simplifies the concept because of the the way that you're the way that you're doing that do you have any other kind of particular techniques when it comes down to breaking these these kind of complex security concepts?
3: It's interesting, isn't it? I've have always been quite sort of proud of myself for being able to do that. I don't know quite what it is that I do exactly. I think one of the things. I mean, this also sort of comes into my teaching as well. Obviously, the audience that I lecture to is 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 third year undergraduates, so they you know they know quite a lot about computers, not more perhaps than the average person who watches a computer. It's difficult to say because I don't know you know, what the spectrum is of people. But I guess the main thing I try and do is I you've got to make a decision as to what is too much information. I think that's the thing, because obviously some of these systems are quite complicated. You know, I remember doing a video on signals double ratchet, and I may have bitten off more than I could chew on that one. You know, it's very complicated, and you kind of realise about 10 minutes in that... This diagram is, is is ludicrous and I'm going to have to start again. So I think, yeah, work out what it is. It's okay to skip over some stuff, right? If that thing is not absolutely crucial to them understanding how this works in general, don't don't really talk about it. Because although that might make someone who really knows a little bit cross because, you know, they were looking for the real detail, that's kind of not what I, what I was doing with the videos. You know, I'm trying to keep it a little bit more general. It's also got to keep down to a certain length of time, right? Some of these things could take 40 or 50 minutes to give them... You know, due coverage. So, yeah, try and try and skip through some stuff, and try and think what it would be like if I was having it explained to me, and what could I do to try and make it a little bit easier to understand? Analogies, you know, similar things that happen that they might already know about this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I think I've watched uh, about three videos now, uh, so that's probably about uh, sixty minutes, specifically on on Diffie Hellman. And I still, I'm still, I don't think I understand Diffie Hellman.
3: It's Yeah, but I tell you what, when you do understand it, it'll click in your brain and you'll suddenly realise it's one of the greatest things ever. (laughs) The thing about Diffie Hellman, which is so, so confusing, is that it's called Diffie Hellman Key Exchange. And so you think there's a a key being exchanged and it's not really. What you're doing is you're, you're sharing some public keys and then you're secretly creating some private stuff behind the scenes. And so that allows you to get around this idea of, this sort of unintuitive idea that you're sending something out how could someone possibly not attack that, you know? But it does take quite a long time. I mean, I do a whole lecture on Diffie Hellman in my course. So that's 50 minutes end to end. And, you know, I don't know how many of what percentage of the students understand it by the end, but I'd hope at least half, <laughs> you know. But I have other videos and stuff that they can refer to. And I guess I hope that they ask me questions if they get stuck. right? But not yet. Not everyone gets it the first time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I I, think that's the joy of kind of learning this stuff on, on YouTube and and rewinding. I can't remember what the recent one was that I. I think I rewound about ten times because you, you know, you started off the video by saying that it was mon- one of the most elegant uh, ways of encryption, and the fact that you could run it almost in reverse as well. Oh, was this the Feistel cipher? Yes, Feistel cipher. That was it. Oh, that's another
3: of my favourite things. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think
0: that. That took me a long while to grasp but that was one of the cleanest explanations've I've ever seen
3: of, of encryption it was it was really good I really enjoyed it well thanks I mean that's really nice I read some of the comments sometimes I don't tend to do that much because you know they can they can vary wildly but uh, I, I' do read some of the comments and some you know on that video particularly it's very divided over people who get it and think it's great and people who still you know don't have the clue what I'm talking about <laughs> and I you know I don't think I've ever got 100% success. I think, you know, with something like that, you just have to kind of hope it sinks in. And also, I don't edit the videos, right? So I record the videos and then they get edited. And so in some sense, the editing is based on the, you know, Sean's understanding of the topic and what he thinks is important. And so there could be things that get cut or things that I forget to mention and stuff, you know, and, and that might have helped if I'd have remembered those things.
0: I, I have that problem with Anna all the time. Like, all my good jokes get edited out. Um, pe- people think that I'm, you know, really bad at, at making jokes, but it just it's just the case that Anna edits them out. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what. So you, you've pretty much covered kind of every element of, of passwords, cracking, password management, like... Specifically, the, the 1Password security model video was, was really good and, and how it differs from, from some of the competitors. Is there anything else that you're kind of still looking to explore in the, in the world of security?
3: Yeah, I mean, I suppose I always try and explore as much as possible just to keep my course up to date, right? Because otherwise, it get, security is one of these things that gets out of date so quickly, it seems, that you know every year I have to kind of revisit and make sure that everything I'm teaching is still current. But also, obviously, that leads to nice new videos that I could do. From a password point of view, I'm quite interested in doing more videos on stuff like OAuth and sort of these kind of logging with Google, logging with Facebook kind of approaches because I have, I guess, mixed feelings about these, which is, you know, I like the idea of using what is probably a better security system to log me in. I I like that idea. I don't so much like the idea of all these big tech companies knowing whenever I log into any website ever, which gives me a slight, slight feeling of unease. So, yeah, I'd quite like to do some of those. You know, I haven't done many videos on things like one-time passwords. There's lots of devices like the thing I used to log into online banking or YubiKeys, stuff like this, but, but all work in subtly different ways. There's a lot of material there that could be quite interesting to explore.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely love to learn how the – like, I, I, again, it's one of those things that I sort of know how it could work. But the the little calculator that they give you when you uh, join a bank in England, yeah. I'm understanding that there's some sort of maths that happens in the back to get a kind of a shared key sort of thing. But uh, yeah, how those work would be fascinating, I think.
3: Yeah, and it's also I always think I know how it works, and then it does something that means no, it can't work like that. Then right? So so for example, I always thought that the it worked a bit like a key fob for your car, and it has like a it has like a secret rolling code, but it doesn't because I used one in a bank and it worked as well. So. We were a different one, which wouldn't have had the same code. So Yeah, and, and they also work
0: across bank, right? Yeah. Like it's not like a, a branded uh, or, or code secret to a to a company. Yeah.
3: So I, I think I think it has to do with something on your card, as in a there's a rolling code probably on your card. But again, wait for my video when I've looked into this in much more de- much more detail and it makes it look like I'm a super expert. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. I mean that and I almost I haven't done it yet, but I, I really wanted to do a video actually on key fobs for cars because my car actually got stolen by a not recently so i'm I'm over it but uh it got stolen by one of these kind of relay attacks so key fobs use lots of different systems but they're actually quite insecure and they're trying to make them more secure so there's some really interesting stuff on that it's similar, I suppose, in a way to one-time passwords, but just slightly different. Ah, interesting. The the thing that we get with one-time passwords is always
0: when someone has a different time on their device or they change the time on their device, that actually does affect how, how we calculate one-time passwords stored in, in one password. Yeah. So, you know, that's always the first thing that we go, oh, did you check that? You know, have you changed the date or the time on your, on your device recently?
3: Yeah, a, a lot of stuff like Kerberos authentication for Active Directory and uh, Google Authenticator, Microsoft Authenticator, they all run using time-based stuff like this. And I guess we've all got used to assuming that the times are all in sync because of sort of network time protocol and stuff. And it just sometimes doesn't work. And for whatever reason, I can't quite understand. And then your clock's out and everything starts to not work at all. So, yeah, I, I don't have any solutions to this. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, your your password
0: cracking video is actually from from 2016. Mm. Um, so. First of all, please tell me how you haven't aged a single day since then, or even your first video, which I think dates back to like 2006 or something. I was
3: going to say the exact opposite thing, which is that I, I, I'm so, sure I see myself getting ever so slightly wider and ever so slightly greyer. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know, youthful good looks. I did actually, you'll notice actually in my initial videos, I have glasses and then I no longer have glasses because I had, should we say, I had corrective surgery. That wasn't a vanity thing. I just kept losing them. And so I had to, uh, had to do something about it. <laughs> so it's almost Benjamin Button. You're kind of ageing backwards. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, and also I, I, I always dress exactly the same. And that's, again, it's pure laziness. I decided there was no way I was going to keep up with whatever is in fashion. So I just wouldn't bother. And then I'll (laughs) I'll wait for, I'll wait for, I'll wear the same thing and I'll wait for fashion to cycle back around to me.
0: (laughs) So the the world of password cracking has also massively changed with the amount of kind of data breaches and and other things like that. Like, how do you think the threat there has changed?
3: Yeah, I mean, even when I did my, my video in 2016, which I can't actually believe it was 2016, it was already kind of in a way there was less of that going on. I think it's changed a lot. I think that there there is just been ridiculous amounts of breaches. And I think that that means that credential stuffing attacks seem to be the big thing at the moment. So it is still important for people to have, you know, good passwords as it is before. But actually having different passwords and not using the same password for multiple sites seems to be more important than ever. Because, I mean, you know, I get login attempts on my accounts all the time using old passwords and stuff that have been leaked on completely unrelated, you know, breaches. So... I think that's become really important. I think that maybe consumer understanding of passwords has improved a little bit. I I'd like—I I'd like to think probably not just because of my video, but I think you know government advice has been quite strong. You know, there's been a lot of it trying to explain to people that you know we need to sort out passwords a little bit. So I think that cracking has become slightly less of a doable task for the majority of people. Also, with with any luck, the back end systems are much better. So you know. The the password cracking I was doing in 2016 on a weak hash is going to be harder to do on hopefully the majority of websites, although it does still happen.
0: Yeah, that does kind of bring me to my next question of how much of a factor do you think that the actual machines are now with something like this? Probably
3: not as much as it was, because I think that any GPU will do a a solid job on a weak password. I think that the again, it it comes down to, you know, you're we're getting hands on more of these leaks that have already got breached passwords or just sort of, you know, old lists of passwords and things for trying out so i'd imagine that a lot of attackers are not actually trying to breach the passwords really at all they either get some that have already been breached but i think that any kind of two or three gpus is going to be fine i mean even one i did it you know i tried it out at my house you know this was back when i did the video and it was it was obviously a great deal slower than our work server but it was still perfectly doable for weak passwords which is if i was someone who was trying to attack these passwords those are the ones I'd go for. Right? I'm not going to worry about someone that's got a really, really strong password that I can't breach. I'm going to go for someone who has a trivial password and they use that password over five different websites. You know, So I think that what will happen is, and it's kind of my guess really, is that you'll breach 10% as quickly as you can and then you'll give up and you'll focus on attacking the accounts of those 10% of people. I think will would be, I guess if you were a criminal, probably the way you would do it. You know, not that I condone such things, of course.
0: <laughs> so, uh I think it's my my penultimate question but um i'm interested in what your kind of favorite area of, of computer science is uh or or computer security in in general yeah and like if it is something encryption based like what's the thing that the audience of this podcast might might find super interesting to to kind of dive deeper into
3: yeah so like i say i, I know security mostly through my teaching and for the fact that i've read around a lot of these subjects to do videos on them you know so obviously my primary area of research is deep learning i think that's really really interesting I think there's a huge issue coming, not with, like, super intelligence. I, you know, I'm not not overly worried about that at the moment. I'm I'm more worried about people misusing stuff like AI to, you know, you've got some bank system that, that is giving people loans or not giving people loans, which are life-changing decisions, and it's being made automatically by some machine that we haven't properly validated, right? That kind of stuff, I think, is going to be quite important going forward. So that's kind of from my area of research. In terms of security... Definitely, I think cryptography is my, my favourite subject. It can get quite mathematically challenging for, su- for some parts of it. And, you know, I'm not a mathematician, I'm a computer scientist, so I have, you know, solid maths, but not exceptional maths. And I guess cryptography is hard enough that I <laughs> I find it hard, but not so hard that I can't understand it. So that's, that's always good. But also cryptography is what has things like Diffie Hellman and Firestore ciphers and these incredible... Things that just when they click in your brain, you just get a big smile on your face. And it's also got such an interesting history as well. You know, obviously things like Enigma back in sort of the 40s. But, you know, since then, things like one time passwords, one time pads and things used, you know, by spies during the Cold War and stuff like that. There's loads of interesting topics. So, yeah, I could read about that for for years.
0: That sounds fascinating. And it actually gives me uh, lots of good ideas of, you know, other people to introduce as as guests. I'd uh, I'd love to get some uh, kind of Cold War uh, esque computer scientist people in. Oh, excellent! Yeah. So, finally, what are your your main kind of security tips when it when it comes to giving people advice beyond the obvious? You know, kind of two factor and, and things like that. Like, what what's your go to of telling
3: people? Yeah. So, I do recommend using a password manager, right? Because it allows you to solve quite a lot of the other problems associated with passwords without me having to bother explaining what they are, which is always nice. I think that what interests me actually, because I'm sort of coming at this not as a security researcher point you know, but as almost as a consumer of some of these products, and and, and, you know, I log into all these systems online, and I, you know, I need this security as well. What I find interesting is this balance between choosing something that is nice and secure and choosing something that actual people in real life are going to use. I think that's what's really interesting about it. There's a kind of ergonomics and a kind of social thing. Because if you say everyone has to have 50 character passwords, then no one's going to use your website. You know, so I think that, when I, I remember a, a couple of years ago, the British government said that we should choose three random words. And this was following on from things like my video where I'd recommended using four random words, right? Which is obviously subtly different. But it wasn't because they thought that three random words necessarily was the most secure or the best. It was because that's what people at home might actually do, which I think is really interesting. So I think that is a, a really interesting side of security, which is getting people to actually use it, you know, which which hopefully, you know, through videos... That are kind of engaging, people might do, right? But whether or not old people who really need to use a password manager, like my grandmother, are actually watching these videos, is that's a different question. Yeah, my my mum
0: uses a a mixture of you know using one password, but also writing it down and waiting till I kind of get there in order to put it from that piece of paper into one password, yeah, so yeah, she yeah. can access it. You know, she's she's like eighty percent of the way there, but just adding a new item just seems you know too far. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of both. But yeah, as, as someone who is responsible, essentially, for the, the kind of experience of using 1Password, it's a constant fascination, like giving usable security advice. When you sign up for 1Password, and, and this was in your video, we, we give people a secret key. Yeah. You know, this is something that we're telling them that is completely you know new to them, a new concept, and we're telling them to store it somewhere safe when we are the safe place to store things. But like, this is the thing to protect yeah. 1Password, right? And so... The usability of that is always constantly fascinating yeah. to me.
3: From an interface point of view, it's little things like if you go onto a new website, then you know most password managers have some functionality to generate a random password. If there's too many clicks involved in doing that, people are going to type in their old password again. The barrier for entry, it doesn't take much to convince someone just to not to bother, which of course undermines the whole security of the whole thing. So you know, in, in, in some sense, that's both your problem and not your problem right? if they're not using it properly. But I think that... Yeah, these things being making these things easier is a great way to get people to use it because they might as well. And I think that's where we have to go. I don't think telling people that they have to use two factor and they have to do this and they have to do that is necessarily going to convince anyone really, apart from people who kind of already were doing that.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting that we've started trying to build that habit by doing things like giving away a a free family account for every employee that uses it our hope is essentially similar to my wife trying to train me of where my slippers live even though i don't agree with it is, is to just keep putting them in the same place so you always kind of go back to that place and i think that's the mentality of having one password at work and then giving away a, a free uh, family account is like you know hey all your work stuff's here and, you know, you constantly go back to it and, and maybe then you, you start kind of forming a habit.
3: There. Yeah, exactly. And once you've got 99 percent of your passwords in, when you go to a new website, it's pretty jarring not to use it because you kind of feel a bit guilty almost. <laughs> well, that's good. And, yeah, and so at that point, then, you, you know, then the, the job's done. Right? The job then they, they are using the password manager and it's all good. It's those first few times where they realize, I mean, I, I think the first time I saw the password manager was like, right, I need to go through my accounts and work out exactly how many passwords I have. And the answer is it's loads. And that itself is a is it barrier to entry because you look at it and you think, oh, I, can't, I don't know if I can be bothered with this. So is it really that's such a big deal, the way I'm doing it now? I, I think what's interesting, actually, is people who don't use password managers have kind of come up with this multi-tier security system. So I don't know, you know, like the NSA or something will have like top secret and secret and confidential and stuff different tiers of security and I was doing that before I had a password I had you know I had one all my online shops had the same password because I figured that if they were going to steal my money in one shop it didn't really matter if they also stole my money in a different shop like I don't think this was a good practice in general right but this was the way I done it so you know I think a lot of people they they have one password they use for every website they don't care about and they have one password for the ones they care a little bit more about and so on This is actually almost probably in the end more work than it is just to have random passwords that are generated for you. So I think that hopefully people will stop doing this eventually. Yeah.
0: Then the top tier of that is I, I have a process right where I, you know, take the word Facebook and I reverse it and I attach that to my normal password. Yeah. Always. What I think about that is, is the same when someone told me that they had about 26 different passwords. And what they did was just have different members of the football team. Like once I've, you know, once I've got four of those, the other, however many, yeah. are not that hard to try. <laughs> yeah.
3: And, and you know, once you're implementing all these incredibly complicated rules, you're taking a long time to log in. You're taking a long time to remember what it was. Yeah. To, to remember which footballer belongs to which online store is, is quite complicated. Yeah. I don't think you're going to convince many people who don't use computers regularly to do a system like that. They don't want to spend a lot of time thinking up new passwords, which, which match all these really weird rules that websites come up with. They don't want to spend a lot of time typing them in. They just want their websites to work, but they also want perhaps not to be hacked. <laughs> so I guess also for normal people who don't use computers much, I don't think hacking is they see it in the news, but I don't think it's something that's on their mind much. I, I think in the
0: news it, it kind of seems like a like like when someone breaks into your house or, or steals your car or something. It's it's you know sorry, that was too close to home, but like <laughs> all... it's an exception. But really hacking is kind of a, a bit different if it actually happens to you. It's it's more like just a sweeping thing right? It's it's more just like everybody in your postcode gets caught rather than just you.
3: Yeah, you know, people who are getting individually targeted for hacking are like celebrities and politicians and stuff, and you know, so they obviously have to have different security measures, but, you know, for me, if I'm going to get hacked, chances are it's going to be as just one of many faceless people on some leak. And so in some sense... I don't have to worry too much about, you know, people actually targeting me specifically, which has all, obviously all, all other kinds of things you have to do to try and stop it. I just have to worry about being, you know, secure enough that I don't turn up in these leaks too much. Exactly. So
0: do you have any uh, where people can find out more information about you or when someone, you know, wants to learn more about what Computerphile are doing?
3: Yeah. So if you want to go, if, so so our file channel is is obviously, that's exactly what it is. So it's, it's youtube.com slash Computerphile. That's PH file. Uh, I see what they did there the you know that you're going to see a lot of different videos not just obviously with me uh, on lots of different topics from computer science so everyone that does computer files are, you know, really into their subjects. So they're always hopefully going to talk with a lot of enthusiasm about it. So that's something to check out. And you'll never know what kind of random subject you'll find interesting as well. I watch quite a lot of the videos on other subjects, and they're always really, really interesting. Because, you know, I don't have a huge breadth of computer science knowledge outside of my field, particularly. I'm on Twitter, so, you know, Mike underscore Mike Pound, I think it is. Because Mike Pound was already taken. (laughs) Not that I'm bitter about it. I don't tend to post anything serious on Twitter, because I think that enough people do that. Right no no one's fo- no one who watched my computer file and follows me on Twitter wants to hear my political views right so I d- I don't tell anyone I just tell funny jokes and talk about security issues and stuff like that
0: when people follow me on Twitter they uh, assume that I'm just going to tweet about passwords but actually I just tweet pictures of bread
3: that i've baked <laughs> so so i think i think people following me on twitter get quite disappointed <laughs> yeah so we watch my uh, subscriber count go up briefly and then come back down again when they realize what it is that i actually do <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> it has been an absolute pleasure uh, and and i hope i haven't come across as too much of a super fan no no it's fine but uh, yeah th- thank you very much for for coming on the
3: show you're welcome it's been really great <laughs>
1: going to take Mike Pound out for a beer, right? Is that the conclusion that we've had from that?
0: I mean, uh, probably not. I'm I'm sure he has a lot of people um, who are fans. (laughs) All I'm saying is I, I, you know, I don't subscribe to many YouTube channels, but that that is one that I do enjoy. (laughs) Fantastic.
2: All
1: right. Shall we move on to some Ask One Password?
0: Yes.
2: First question. What happened to Anna? I mean, we
1: just didn't address
2: it, did we? We sure didn't.
1: Steve db 2 is asking where I went in the last episode, but... I'm alive. I'm here. I haven't left. It's okay.
2: Somehow Matt and I managed to shout Anna down for an entire episode. We didn't get, <laughs> let her get her word in edgewise.
1: To be honest, you know, I prefer the show without me. It's um, a wonderful thing to edit. You're allowed to be wrong. If there are any other editors out there, they will know that editing their own voice is like nails on a chalkboard. So, <laughs> it <laughs> was so it's lovely to be analyst for an episode, but it's nice to know that people people are missing me little boost to the old old confidence there.
0: <laughs> so, Anna, I think we're doing a giveaway.
1: We are. This one is carrying over from last episode, so it's still open, and there's a few more days to get your entries in. We're going to close it on the 31st of July, and we'll announce on the 50th episode. And
2: this is to replace.
1: Yeah, so this is to suggest a segment for the next season to replace real or not real.
2: Listen, folks, we need, we need to know how to, how to replace real or not real. Yeah. Okay. Last week I came up with one, and it was wonderful. <laughs> this is the final one, though. It is. We're not doing another one after this. After this, if we don't have a new segment, the podcast just ends. Like it just goes from <laughs> ask one password to <laughs> bye bye, and that's Bye-bye.
1: it.
2: All right, go ahead, Anna. Hit us. Hit us with okay. this one. Okay,
1: the final real or not real? So the entire internet weighs about the same as one large strawberry.
0: <sighs> what? What do we think? So data does actually weigh, right? Like if you um, if you put information on an SD card, it weighs more when there is information on it than when there is not. I don't know why, but <laughs> I think that is a thing. <sighs> no, uh, that is an urban legend. Uh, it, it does not get heavier as you store more files on it. I, I I was completely wrong there. I, I wanted to Google it because I'd heard it before and I obviously had believed it. You can't but,
1: Google things to help not, you I, I decide whether Google. this is real or not real. Matt. Yeah, but
0: I don't know. That's not
1: how this works.
0: Like, I don't know how much the... the like, what is the internet, really? No. Just... Uh, no. I mean, how much... No. If we're talking about hardware, the internet definitely doesn't weigh uh, as much as a large strawberry because uh, it's, it's going to be... Like ridiculous, you know, the amount of network switches, and I would imagine the undersea cables are fairly uh, weighty.
2: This is not real, okay? This
0: isn't real. This is
2: something. But I
0: don't know what, like, what what are you. (laughs) I just went Essex for a second. No, go ahead. I don't know what you mean by it. (laughs) What what about the internet? How much does it weigh? No one knows. (laughs) Not a lot of people know that.
1: Sound like Michael (laughs) (laughs) Caine.
0: How much does the internet weigh? Same as a strawberry. I, I I don't know what you're defining as the internet here. This is the problem with this.
1: Well, the internet,
0: like the the data on the internet. Yeah, this is not real. Stop trying to unpack it.
2: It's just it's not real. Let's cut to the let's just cut to the segment where Anna says, "Actually, it is."
0: Okay, can we do that,
2: please? Is
1: that your Anna impression, Rue?
0: I mean, all right. It's about as heavy as Rue's soul. How about that? <laughs> oh my oh. god wow oh.
2: all right go ahead anna i say it's not real matt doesn't know what to think he's not even <laughs> sure what a strawberry is so
0: is a cherry a berry i just no, just don't
1: yeah can you remember when we found out that strawberries aren't actually berries but bananas <laughs> are that was something real or not real told mm-hmm. us
2: mm-hmm.
1: or taught us Our cherries
2: Are Our cherries a berry Are
1: cherries a berry Actually, I'm gonna include that as a little bonus feature at the end of the episode.
0: Yeah,
2: there's a
1: little remix of uh, "ruin that trying to work that one out." Oh,
0: I think the remix of me trying to work this out is just a long sigh. I just, I, I okay, I'm, I'm going real. Why not? All that data has got away something, is not it?
1: Going real, but not based on
0: any logic. I mean, this—the question isn't based in logic. Like, I don't know what the like. What are we defining <laughs> as the internet here? Stop. Stop trying to unpack it.
2: Stop it.
1: I love how it's one large strawberry as well. It's just so random.
2: Matt says real. <laughs> it's
1: like when they say that they're going to
0: fire large hadrons.
2: <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Matt says real. I say not real. Anna, tell us who's right
1: and why. Okay. Cut to Anna saying, yes, this is <sighs> actually real.
2: I'm, I'm just angry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so... The weight of all the electrons in motion that make up the internet at any one moment is equivalent to 50 grams. So using some very rough maths, and this is very, so people out there might fact check me or whatever, but it's estimated that the internet weighs about the same as a medium sized egg or one large strawberry. Hmm.
2: I'm so happy this segment is going away.
0: It just makes me angry. (laughs)
1: <laughs> See, look, I'm following the
0: link, right? I'm following the um the the story, and it says on this one that uh, filling a four gigabyte Kindle to its storage limit increases its weight by a billionth of a billionth of a gram. Yeah,
1: I've read that's uh, the too.
0: article I read ten, 10 minutes ago when it feels like this segment started. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it said that the on a on a USB drive, if you add information to it, it it doesn't doesn't change the weight so i thought originally that that yes data weighs but then i was proven wrong and now you've proved me wrong so yeah i'm gonna take away from that
1: i can send you some articles matt if you want some further reading you've got a week off i'm gonna next take week. from
0: that that on some sort of level i was right all the way along
1: as you are with everything
0: <laughs> can we can can we be done so i can go get a coffee
2: please like i'm just it's this is too much it's too much for me.
1: Oh. We're going to replace real or not real if only for rue's sake really.
2: Thank you. Yes. My mental health. I get these made me so <laughs> angry because some of them yeah. are just so dumb and it just I hate it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean they're brilliantly infuriating really. Yes, exactly. I don't it, think you can it just It is you a know. fine
1: art to find ones that sound like I've made them up.
0: Yeah, did you did you catch last week? Did you, did you catch last week in Rue's lollipops yes, that I, I, enjoyed I that had one. no that was a idea one. that existed in the first place and then had to decide whether a flavour was created from two things <laughs> that
1: I didn't know existed? Yeah, Rue did a good job. You, you both did a good job. Ooh, thank
2: you. Let's leave on that note. Rue did a good job. Can I just... I want that as a sound bite. <laughs> and every time... And it's going to be my text tone for Anna. So every time Anna texts me, it's just going to go, Rue did a good job. It'll be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Right. Is that is that all for today, friends? I think so.
1: Another episode done. Until, Until next, next time for the fiftieth episode. Awesome.
2: Alright, love you both.
1: Love you guys. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
0: Are cherries a berry? Are cherries a berry? Are cherries a berry? Berry berry berry.
2: It could technically be a berry. Hang on, aren't strawberries
0: not berries? It could technically be a berry? Are cherries a berry? I don't know anymore. I don't know what's real anymore. <laughs> Maybe we should just only name things berries that have berry in the name. Like a raspberry, a cherry berry. You know, that, that normal cherry
2: berry. Gotta love me a good cherry berry. I'm going to say that bananas are a type of berry. Hang on. Are cherries a berry? They could technically be a berry.
0: Strawberries are not berries. Is anything a berry anymore? Contemplating the meaning of life at this point. Yeah, avocado berry. Let's end here. This is shaking my soul. Are cherries a berry?